Welcome into another edition of the Dan and Victory podcast. Whoa. Welcome into another edition of the Musketeer Report podcast from Dana Gardens. We're live here with assistant coach Dante Jackson and former Enquirer beat writer Adam Baum. We'll get to that later on. Dante, you played at Xavier from 2008 to 2011 before you became a coach. That means you played for both Coach Miller and Coach Mack during your time. That gives you an interesting viewpoint. I want to talk about that more. But first of all, during your time as a player, you go to the NCAA tournament four different times. Three seed, you go to the Elite Eight versus UCLA. Four seed, you go to the Sweet 16 versus Pitt. Six seed, you go to the Sweet 16 versus Kansas State. And then you had the six seed appearance where you lost to Marquette in the first round. Had a couple of guys like Jimmy Butler you may have heard of before. With your experience in the NCAA tournament, has that influenced the way you viewed coaching and the tournament and, and how difficult it is to actually get there? Uh, yeah, well, for, first, like, I had to do all of that to get my jersey retired in Dana Gardens. <laughs> like, I mean, BJ, I, I, I love you to death, but like, we, we, had to, we had to do all that to get my, get my jersey in the rafters. Yeah, volunteers. I got it. Um, so what, what was your question? I, I had to get that off my chest first. It, you went there so frequently. You guys had so much success in the tournament. How has that influenced your view of the tournament as a coach? I mean, did you? it's obviously been more difficult to get to the tournament as a coach, I think, than it was as a player. Yeah. Did, did you expect it to be like that? No, there's no doubt. Like You, um, you, you, you kind of take it for granted. You know, year one, we go to the Elite Eight, and you just – automatically assume, man, this is easy. We're going to be back there. And you know, we got close a couple times, but we never got all the way back. And so um, it's, it's much harder than what you realize. And then you get into coaching and you try like hell to get these guys to like lock in and focus. And a lot of times it's one play or it's one turnover, or it's one missed shot or what have you um, that keeps you from like having that opportunity, which is, um, you know, kind of what plagued us the last handful of years. So to have our team this year kind of figure it out, get over the hump, um, win the first game, win the second game, and have that opportunity to, to play in the Sweet 16 was really uh, gratifying. Seven wins in the NCAA tournament is tied for the most by any XU player in history. One of those guys is Jason Love, of course, that you're tied with. The other two are Trayvon Blewett, J.P. Makira. My opinion is you had the best four-year tournament experience out of any player in Xavier history. Is that your opinion as well? Do you agree with that? I mean, I'm a little, I'm certainly biased, you know. Um, you know, when, when you look at it holistically, to win 107 games in, in my four years here, I thought, you know, I, I tell our current players, to me, that was a glory time. That was a glory year. It's like, you know, the expectation was, hey, Xavier's not only making the tournament, those guys are advancing. And um, in, in a lot of ways, I'm really proud of that. Um, but now it's like I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in this chair coaching our guys. We're trying to recre uh, re or kind of recreate those times. And so, you know, hopefully, you know, Desmond Clyde or Cam Craft is, is you know, the next guy to get you know, NCAA tournament, win seven, then hopefully eight. I've always looked at it as getting to the second weekend is really the big deal for the tournament. You want to, getting to the second round is great, but getting that second weekend, it just feels different. You get that whole extra week, you get all that extra publicity. 
That's why I would put you slightly ahead of McCure and Blewett, because they lost in the second round a couple times. You made it to the second weekend three times. Is that how you feel as a player and a coach? Is it special getting to that second weekend? Listen, facts are facts. <laughs> you know, um, uh, that, that's the one thing we, we deal with here is uh, the facts. And so uh, I'll say this. You know, Trey and, and JP, great players, great careers. Um, they played on really, really, really great teams. But I would take, you know, 08, 09, and then 09, 10 over any of those teams, um, head to head. Now, again, I think anytime you, you get to the tournament, your goal is just, hey, can we win the first game? If you can win the first game, like anything's possible. Um, and so you get to that second weekend, they're, they're, you're one of 15 teams playing, and then, like, you just kind of figure it out. So um, ha happy to have done it. After you got done playing, you did two years as a grad assistant, one at Ohio, one at Xavier, and then you went on and you bounced around at a couple of different places, one that's near and dear to my heart, NKU. You also were at Robert Morris, you were at Air Force, you are at Kent State, all of those places for a year or less each. And then you ended up back at Xavier as, as a part of Travis Steele's first coaching staff in 2018. And when he brought you back, he had just added a guy in Jonas Hayes who had been in the SEC for four or five years at his alma mater and was being talked about as an up-and-coming, likely-to-be-a-head-coach-soon type of guy. He had brought in Ben Johnson, who was a guy who had been in the Big Ten for several years at his alma mater who was being looked at as an up-and-comer, soon-to-be-a-head-coach type of guy. When you joined that staff, and you hadn't really solidified yourself on any staff yet, did that make you hungry to, to develop and grow being around those other guys that were established and being that third chair, so to speak? Yeah, I think, um, I think my entire track um, to get back to Xavier made me hungry. Um, two years as, uh, as a GA at Ohio, or a year at Ohio with, with John, two years here with Mac, and then you know, spent, let's call it, nine months at Northern Kentucky, and they made a change. And then I was like out of the business. And... You know, that year I was out of the business was, was great, um, but there was a kind of piece of my daily life that was missing. So I, I got fortunate enough to get hired on at Air Force, and it just kind of reignited my passion. So Air Force to Robert Morris, Robert Morris to Kent State, Kent State back here. Um, but to answer your question, I think, you know, when I first got back here, it, it was, I was so happy to be back. I was so happy to have an opportunity to, like, be an assistant coach at Xavier, a place that, that means a lot to me, a place that's given me a lot in my academic and athletic career. And um, I didn't really look at it as, hey, I'm, gonna, like, I'm trying to like, outdo these two dudes. I really respected them. I really liked them. Those two guys are two of my best friends to today. Um, and so the biggest thing for, for myself, and I think those two guys as well, was how do we get Xavier, how do we keep Xavier to the standard? And we tried like hell um, day in and day out to do that. You know, depending on how you look at it, we, were, we weren't all that successful. Um, but Ben Johnson's the head coach in Minnesota and, and Jonas is the head coach at Georgia State. So, you know, my four years working with those guys were, were great. Fast forward to now, you've been at Xavier. You just completed your fifth season now at Xavier. Around college basketball communities, when I talk to people, you have this strong reputation that seems like it's growing Every month, I hear more people talking about you and a lot of people saying positive things. And from an outsider's perspective, what you've been able to do, not only as a coach on the floor, but recruiting, making inroads in the Northeast with prep schools. And you look at the last recruiting class, you were the lead recruiter for both Cam Craft and Desmond Claude. 
Where do you feel like you've grown the most since you came back to Xavier? Um, one, I, I think that's a great question. Um, because in a lot of ways, what we have to offer, you know, a student athlete, um, it's great. I mean, you look at the Centos Center, our fan support, um, the academics, like it, it's, it's, it's elite. Um, I, I think the, the area that um, maybe I've grown the most is just being able to build relationships with people that I, I have no connection to. Um, and whether that's, could be Northeast, could be down South, could be out West. Um, and I think that's the one thing that's a little bit different now that Sean's back um, because you know, previously, I think we had like a breadbasket you know, approach to recruiting. And, um, Meaning that, the local region, yeah, right? Yeah, like if you circle Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, Michigan, um, you know, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, whatever, you circle that, we should be able to find enough Xavier players to, to compete in the Big East. We can still do that, but when you have a guy like Sean Miller as your head coach and he's like the leader of your program, that's a national brand. And I think what that does is, is that opens us up to um, so, so many more options. And um, I think once, once you get outside of the breadbasket, people really respect what Xavier's done over the course of the last 25 years. They absolutely respect you know, what Coach has done over the last 15, 20, 18 years. Um, and so now it's just a matter of like, finding those right fits um, to, to, to play for Coach at Xavier. Did you know that that was going to be a big part of your development is, is expanding your recruiting ground and footprint? No, you know, I, I, um, to be honest with you, I didn't. And you know, when I got back, Trav put me in the Northeast. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll, I don't know anybody up there, but we'll figure it out. And that's kind of what we did. You know, again, like when you're at a place like Xavier in the Big East Conference, um, I mean, how we were just coming off being a one seed um, it's not like our name wasn't unrecognizable. Um, it was just a matter of, you know, actually fine-tuning and, and really dialing in on the types of kids and people that fit Xavier. And I think over time, like, we, we've, um, we've been able to do that. And there's no doubt with our current staff of David, myself, and Adam, um, we're, we're going to continue to kind of hammer that nail home. When Sean took over as the head coach last year, you know, maybe a, a month ago at this time, how long was it before you knew that you were going to stay at Xavier? And was there ever a, a period of time where you thought maybe it was uncertain and you might be leaving? Yeah, I, I think that's the, um, like that's the thing with like a transition or a coaching change. It wasn't the first time I had gone through it, but it was the first time that I was going through it while we're still playing. And so um, I think people forget we still had four NIT games to play. And, you know, my focus was solely on hey, how, how well can we finish? And given everything to those guys, Paul Scruggs, you know, Nate Johnson, um, all those guys, because they, they, had, they had sewn into us. And so I was still locked in on that. Now, to answer your question, um, I knew I was good um, right, actually right when we got to the NIT Final Four. Um, and that's it was unique because I had had a conversation with coach. Coach said, hey, you're good. You focus on the team. And it's hard to then focus on the team. Then you got to start worrying about next year. Hey, can we keep Cam? Can we keep Tyrell? Can we keep Dez? Like, how do we organize that? And um, it, was, it was hard because you think about it. We beat St. Bonaventure. We beat Texas A&M. And we're, we're one of the last three teams, four teams playing in college basketball. And you're hoping to get a little, a little bit of a break. 
Well, coach is like, nope, hey, we're, we're planning for next year right now. So we're on a plane back to New Haven, Connecticut to meet with Dez, to Chicago to meet with Cam. And you know, for a good two and a half, three weeks, it was just me and coach kind of holding the – or Mario holding the ship down, which was – it was tough. But um, fast forward a year, a year and some change, Sweet 16, 27 wins. Like I would do it over again if I could. I mentioned that you started your career, you were recruited by Sean Miller as a player and played your first two years with him. And then your final two years, you finished with Chris Mack. So you had been through a coaching change as a player before. How did that influence the way you interacted with the guys this year, whether it be last offseason telling them what to expect with the coaching change or over the course of the year saying, hey, this is how you have to adjust and do things a new way? Yeah, such a unique perspective because I've been through the transition. Not only has I've been through the transition, I actually played for the guy that's replacing the guy that just left. And so um, I think our guys really leaned on, you know, not every word that I said, but, like, I was very honest with Colby Jones and Jack Nungy and Zach Freeman. Hey, this is what you can expect. And um, I think part of, part of the reason that they, they all chose to come back and give it a go again this year was I think they, they, wanted, to, um, they wanted the opportunity to be coached by a guy that, like, is elite. Right, who has 24 NBA players, has coached in seven Sweet 16s, now eight Sweet 16s. I think they were thirsting for that opportunity. And that's not knocking anyone else. That's just stating a fact. And um, I think my ability and even Mario's ability to give our guys who Sean Miller is, what you can expect, and honestly excite them on, on how the transition was going to unfold, um, was really cool. And um, for those guys to not only like take that information, buy into it, and then produce at the level that they produced this year is it, uh, pretty cool to see. So you guys looked like geniuses from a recruiting standpoint. Did you know Sule Boom was going to be a first team All Big East player when you grabbed him? <laughs> you know, so we all, crazy enough, we, we all thought Sule was too small. We, we sit, we watch this film, and Man, we're like, God, he's too small. But coach, he's like, fellas, he can really shoot it, man. He knows how to get fouled, shoots 90% from the line. Then he got here, and it was strange. He had kind of tweaked his hamstring, and he was out for like three weeks. And so we're all like, told you this guy's too small. You guys aren't listening to us. Um, but I will tell you this, and I mean this wholeheartedly. I love every one of our players. Sule Boom, in my opinion, is solely responsible for, I think, the growth of Jack Nungy, Colby Jones, Adam Kunkel, and I say that because Sule Boom had a, had a process. Like, he was a pro before he became a pro. Every day at 9.30 a.m., he was in the gym, every single day. Every, every single day. Like, he had a process about him. He wanted to win, he wanted to advance, he wanted to give himself the best opportunity to, to become what he became. And um, I think Kobe and Adam and Zach and Jack and Jerome, I think they all saw, hey, this dude works his ass off. Like, I have to get on that level. And um, I've told him this, and I really believe this, like, his process about work, um, his, his thought process about, like, practice, um, all of that, I think, was, was, that was the biggest reason, in my opinion, we did what we did this year. That group, a lot of those guys came back from the, the previous staff and, and opted to stay around. 
that was a group of guys that hadn't been able to get over the hump the last two seasons. You guys as a staff, when you looked at them, were you tempted to be more aggressive in the portal and try to overturn the roster a little bit more than you ended up doing? Yeah, so I, I would tell you, you know, that first month that Coach was here, again, it was me, Mario, and, and, and Coach, and I believed in each and every one of our dudes, every single one of them. For whatever reason, we didn't get over the hump. Um, I don't think talent was the issue. I think, hey, making a play, not making a play. We, made, we, we didn't make enough plays. That, that's ultimately what it came down to. Now, when Coach got here, I think he gave everyone a blank slate. I think that was his process because oftentimes, like, you can come in in a new transition or a new situation. You can clean house. Now, on the back end, you have to be able to replace what you're losing. And it's not as easy as, hey, you know, see you later, next guy come in. And, you know, coach made the decision. We made the decision to kind of roll with what we had and coach them up and almost reprogram them. And I think to their credit, um, they, they bought in. They realized that they didn't have all the answers. And here you got this guy who's been a head coach for 18 years, who's had 24 pros, who's been to the Sweet 16 seven times. Like, I should probably listen to what he's saying. And to a man, each one of those guys did it. And a guy like Jerome Hunter, I mean, his, his, his game speaks for itself. And it was total buy-in uh, pretty much from day one. And so coach wasn't like, hey, let's get rid of him. Let, let's work with what we have and see what happens. Specifically with Jerome, what was the biggest reason for his turnaround? Um, yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think Jerome, I think our staff never wavered on him. I think Jerome was like, yearning for someone to like believe in him, give him an opportunity, give him a true opportunity. Now, Jerome had to kind of look himself in the mirror and like adjust. He had to like change his game a little bit. Um, but I think the day-to-day -day work that he put in, I think the day-to-day -day time with, with our staff, and I, I mean that on the floor, off the floor, really kind of manifested his, his game. Again, like, if you look at our NCAA tournament run, there wasn't a better player on the floor than Jerome Hunter. And I think if anyone out there would have said, like, a year ago, like, hey, Jerome Hunter's going to lead you to, to, a, to an NCAA tournament win, you guys, oh, my God, don't shoot the ball, Jerome. <laughs> but, but, um, but listen, he worked hard, and, you know, his hard work was kind of rewarded. I know from my perspective, I bet Adam would tell you the same thing. I know a lot of fans really enjoyed that. That was one of the most fun storylines this year to watch it unfold. See him go from a guy that got a lot of criticism and it, was, it got unfair at points the year before, I felt like, to the fan base really just showered him with love all year. And he kind of became almost like this cult hero for Xavier Nation. Was that as fun for you guys inside the locker room to see him? No, it was. And, and honestly, what was really fun is or was to see him put in work before practice, see him put in work after practice, see him compete like hell during practice and translate that. Because oftentimes you don't always see all that work that you put in. It doesn't always turn out the same way when you actually play the game. And for him to see him do that, um, it was really rewarding because Jerome has a high level of like care. He cares about when winning and losing. He cares about like his teammates. He's a competitor. Like he, he's all about the right things, and so to see him put in all that work and then reap the benefits of that work um, was was really special for that group as a whole. We mentioned them not being able to get over the hump. They make the decision to come back. You guys make the decision. Hey, these are the guys we're rolling with. 
when did it become really special for you, or was there a specific moment for you where you go, man, this is awesome to see these guys succeed like this? Um, so to be honest with you, to beat Vanderbilt, or sorry, to beat Florida, Vandy, uh, St. Bonaventure, and then Texas A&M, I thought that was really cool. Last year's NIT run. Yeah, yeah. to see those guys, coach gets let go, change happens, and then you got to recalibrate to lose Paul Scroggs to an ACL. And like you, you have to figure that stuff out. That was really special. And, you know, I think as the transition happened and, you know, our staff got here, I think we all thought, man, there's enough talent in here to do the things that we're trying to do. And um, to kind of go through that process, um, I, I, I told our staff from, from early June, July, I said, we're going to be the team that late December, early January, nobody's going to want to play. And honestly, if you look at our track record, you know, we go out to PK85, we beat Florida, lose to Duke, should have beaten Gonzaga, and we kind of started to roll, and then you went 11 in a row. Um, it, it just like the, 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 you know, the belief in what we were doing started to kind of settle in. And guys like Colby stepped their game up. You know, Jack stepped his game up. Kobe stepped, or uh, Kunkel stepped his game up. And so to see those, to kind of see that happen, I, I just, I knew it was special. And then again, to go to the Big East tournament and, and you know, get all the way to the to Saturday was cool. And then to hear our name called on, on Selection Sunday, that was really neat. Another one of my favorite moments from the season was that St. John's All Access game. You guys as a staff. Did you go back? Did you watch any of it? Did you see the social media memes that were coming out from Sean Miller? What What was your guys' interaction like the next two days in the office after yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was great. Like, I think we came we came in the next day because uh, we flew back that night, and the the chatter around the uh, the office was, "Don't take deft up shots. Don't take deft up shots." Hey, Adam Kunk or Adam Kunkel, don't take deft up shots. And so, like, that stuck with our guys throughout the entire year, and. And then you know the fan what? base as well. They liked that yeah, one as well. Yeah, like they're they're all over it. But um, that that's kind of seeing seeing that, and then what's honestly like, you hear your coaching friends um, kind of text you after the game, during the game. They're like, "Man, this guy Sean Miller's a G. God, he's a hell of a coach." Blah blah blah. blah. So it, I think that's really cool. Where will we see Desmond Claude and Cam Craft progress the most from this time to next year when the season starts? Yeah, so hopefully, like, I mean, I think Dez made a heck of a jump. I thought he got better and he got better. Um, I think the speed of the game, um, we, we, we kind of tease Dez sometimes because he's always in slow motion. So, like, it's one of his nicknames is slow motion. Like, we have to speed him up a little bit. Um, we have to make him more of a confident, consistent jump shooter. Um, he's got to get some of that stuff off. But I'll, I'll tell you, like, Providence at Providence, UConn at UConn were two of his best games all season. Um, and if we can kind of get that mental makeup or mindset from Dez throughout this summer, like he's poised to take that next jump. Cam, um, I think, he, one, he, we have to get him healthy. Um, and that's, that's what's unfortunate. I think he, he got injured at a time where we actually needed him and kind of struggled. But Cam is a heck of a warrior. I mean, he works his tail off. Um, we, we have to find, one, his health. And I think he'll be back here at some point this summer. And then he's just got to get that confidence of, I'm out there, I'm working, I'm, I'm getting my reps in, and then just kind of figure it out. But like both of those guys, we expect and hope, knock on wood, to kind of take that next jump. 
You guys have also added two new players in the transfer portal already this offseason, hoping to land a few more. But the two guys that you already landed that are signed that you can comment on, one is Logan Duncan, a Moeller grad, former Cincinnati guy. He was at Indiana the last couple of years. He's coming back home. What can you tell us about what he can add? So Logan, um, Logan's the classic uh, case of he, he needed a new scenery. Um, he was at Indiana for a couple years, and for whatever reason, it just, just didn't seem to work out. Um, I, I recruited Logan here the first time around, and um, I think, you know, I, I really believe this. The guys that come to Xavier are supposed to be here. Um, it just so happens that, like, it took Logan a couple years to realize, hey, I need to be at Xavier. So the expectation is, is that you know, he comes in this summer, um, and he's got, like, a renewed kind of sense of passion and excitement for the game of basketball and development. Um, I, I'm going to tell you, I think a lot of people are going to be really surprised with what he is able to do um, because there's not a lot of film out there on him. Um, but, again, he's 6'9", 6'10". I think he's really skilled. I think he's really tough. And I think how we play on offense fits him to a T. And so we're, we're excited about him um, and, and looking, to, looking forward to getting him here. And the other new guy that you've added is Davion McKnight, point guard from Western Kentucky. You just had some good success with the Conference USA point guard transfer. What does Davion bring to the table? You know, um, Davion, like we're, we're in this, uh, you know, when you're in the portal and you're recruiting, it, like the best way I could tell it is like we have to find guys that fit Sean Miller. And Davion McKnight is a Sean Miller guy. What do I mean by that? He's tough. He defends. He can really pass. He can really score. It kind of gets downhill. Um, and he's competitive. And I'm going to tell you, like, in the Big East and, and how the Big East is going to be moving forward, like, he fits exactly what the Big East is. He fits exactly what Sean is. Um, I think his toughness is something that, like, again, you're losing a guy like Sule, Kunkel, Kobe. There's a lot of, like, points rebounds, assist in that, in that group. Um, and so we're trying to replace some of that, but also give us a little edge on the toughness on, on, on the defensive side. Uh, but I think Davion's going to be a dude that, like, he, he's going to be ready from day one. We'll wrap it up with this. I know you're on a tight schedule. you got to get out of here. What else are you guys looking for this offseason? What holes do you feel like you still need to fill? Yeah, so um, we, we, we have to get a guy that can really score. Um, a guy that, like, that's, that's what he does. And um, you know, kind of quote, a, you know, my friend Jonas Hayes, I think a commitment is imminent. Um, so hopefully in the next, hopefully in the next, let's call it uh, 12 hours, 24 hours, we'll, we'll get some really good news. But we need a guy that can really get buckets and um, really can shoot, can, can, can defend. And then we have to replace Jack Dungey. Um, Logan's going to help with that. Um, but we, we need another big have to get another big and, and I think we're in the mix for a couple guys um, here here soon. I won't say a commitment's imminent. I will say, you know, Adam can be on commitment watch. <laughs> okay. That works for me. That's exactly how I phrase it on the message board usually too. So subscribe to musketeerreport.com. Sounds like we'll have some content coming up in the next couple days. Dante Jackson everybody. Dante, really appreciate you joining us. Thank you. All right, part two of the podcast here. Adam Baum, former Enquirer beat writer for the Xavier basketball team, is now joining. Yeah, give it up. All right. Yeah, if we wanted no noise, I could have done this in my house. Let's go. All right. As I was saying, Adam Baum has a new job. No longer the Xavier beat writer for the Enquirer. You've started a new career outside of covering Xavier, but it's 
We're going to get into all of that. But yeah. first of all, tell us about the new job that you've been working the last few days. What are you up to? Yeah, so I, I got a real job is what I like to call it. Um, you know, I love the Enquirer. I wish I could have done it forever. Um, unfortunately, there, there are just some challenges, some hurdles in the way um, to do it for a really long time. So I'm, I'm a copywriter. It's very exciting for a, a digital marketing, advertising, and branding company. So I have a, you know, a legit nine to five, which I've never had before. So this was my second week. And, and I really like it. It's, it's kind of like every day, every week, um, you know, something happens and you're kind of like a problem solver. You have to find out you know, what a client wants, what they're looking for, what they do. And basically anything they need written kind of comes across my desk and my coworkers' desks. And it's a very different kind of writing, but I really enjoy it. And, um, you know, I think I kind of tease this on Twitter and stuff, but um, I'm, I'm not done writing about Xavier. So. Well, that's what I was just going to get into. You did mention on Twitter, don't unfollow me just yet, Xavier fans. So what's the deal? What, what are we doing here, Bao? Well, my, my favorite part of my job at the Enquirer was when I got to take my time with something. And I really got to, to spend some time on a story. And that's really what stories deserve, is they deserve time. They deserve a lot of effort. And, uh, and like working at the Enquirer doesn't necessarily allow you to spend a bunch of time. It's very much, hey, we need to churn out this, churn out that. You've got to write about everything. And so what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to start a website. And, and the reason why I wanted to come on this show and talk about it is because I don't want anyone to think that anything that I'm going to do is going to take away from what Rick already does. Like Rick has a very, a very substantial website that, that provides a ton of value. And you're going to continue to get that from Rick. What I want to do is I want to kind of supplement what you're going to get from Rick with features and in-depth storytelling. And, you know, what I'm planning is um, this website is going to be free. It's not going to be subscribers. It's going to run ads. And, and if people want to click on stuff and read it, that's awesome. If you don't, I don't really care. Um, <laughs> because, yeah, bottom line is, like, I, I am going to miss sports writing. I love writing sports stories. I love getting to know the players and building relationships with them. And this is going to continue to allow me to do that. So anything that I publish on this website is going to be well thought out, well done. It's going to, a ton of time is going to be put into this. Um, you know, I do have a day job, so, um, you know, I'm not just going to be able to crank out a ton of stuff. But my idea is that you know, the Enquirer is going to hire a new beat writer, I'm pretty sure. So, you know, and you should su support whoever that is. You know, that's an important position. And, <laughs> and let's, um, let's, we'll delete that part out. We'll delete that part out. <laughs> but I, I do feel like the one thing that is really missing from Xavier content is sort of that long form, in-depth storytelling stuff that that I really had a blast doing at the Enquirer. I just didn't have the freedom to do it as much as I would have liked to do it. So this is gonna be an opportunity for me to take my time. I'm not interested in breaking news. I'm not interested in sort of the day-to-day the -day minutia uh, of covering that beat. I am still gonna follow it. I'm a loyal Musketeer Report subscriber myself. So um, it's gonna be fun and it's gonna be different. And 
I'm really looking forward to it because it's, uh, it's, it was the best part of my job at the Enquirer, and now I don't have anyone telling me what to do, when to do it, how to do it. it it's all up to me. So I'm really, I'm really jazzed about that, guys. To peel back the curtain a little bit, Adam, over the last however many years you've been doing this, I mean, as much as, you know, technically the Enquirer and my site are like competitors in a way, yeah. you and I have never really done that. We've worked a lot of things together. I mean, like yeah. when the coaching search was going on for Sean Miller, I remember vividly answering a phone call from you while I was in the shower <laughs> yeah. as we were like it's working different information together. So it's always kind of been that way. And I imagine that's how we'll continue to do it, where we share yeah. information and kind of work on things together. I did want to ask you about when you made the announcement that you were done covering Xavier for the Enquirer you got a ton of feedback. I mean, yeah. some really cool stuff was said from local media members. Sean Miller mentioned something about how great you were at your job. I mean, I know it's an awkward spot to put you in, but that had to feel good. I mean, were yeah. you blown away by some of that feedback or did you expect it? I mean, it meant a lot to me. Um, you know, I, I love that job. Um, I think people probably don't realize that I started at the Enquirer when I was 19 years old. And I had, to, uh, I had to work there for seven years part-time before I finally got an opportunity. So, I mean, I'm choked up because I put everything into that, and I loved it. So you it did. meant a lot. Yeah. You, uh, man, you grinded from, from the very bottom of that place, and you absolutely crushed it when you got your opportunity. I mean, there's not anyone who didn't feel that way. You did an incredible job, and you're as good of a Xavier beat writer as I think there's been um, on the Daily Beat. You mentioned how much you enjoyed doing the feature stories. Aside from that, what's the, the best part about the Daily Beat? Because it's a grind. Like, a lot of yeah. people are like, oh, it's great. You get to go to games and write <laughs> about the team. Well, it's a lot more than that. It's a lot of traveling. It's a lot of going to practice and, and waiting for quotes that are never coming and yeah. things like that. What was your favorite and least favorite part about the Daily Beat grind? My favorite thing was being around the team every day, like going to practice, talking to the guys, getting to know the coaches, and just being in the building. And, you know, I, I the Enquirer has an office, and I never went in there. I just went to Xavier every day. I sat in the media room. There's a big glass window in front of the media room. So I'd be in there every day. And players, coaches, they'd get off the elevator. They'd walk by. And it's like, I'm in there. I got a couple Clementines sitting in front of me on the counter. And I'm going to wave at everybody when they go by. So that was the best part. The worst part of the job is feeling like you're always attached to your phone or you're constantly trying to get information before everyone else. That's, that's the thing that I'm honestly, the last two weeks have been great. I've been watching you grind and like put stuff out about the transfer portal and new commits. And I'm just like, I don't miss that at all. It's, <laughs> it's really, it, it's kind of the situation where even when you're not at work, you're like, man, if something happens right now, I'm screwed. Um, because I'm, I don't have my laptop with me or, or what. So it, it, it's this cloud that's kind of always hanging over your head. Like, what is Rothstein about to tweet out right now? You know, you, so that to me was the worst part of the job was, you know, just what am I missing right now? Us trying to convince Mario not to leak something to Rothstein first. Typically, yeah, I hope Mario like, listens to this. Oh, but. he will. <laughs> and he, know, he knows. Um, Adam, <laughs> it, it can be difficult to 
establish a relationship with a head coach especially because there's usually a little bit of a, a distance between a beat writer and a head coach. You usually you, you get to the support staff usually first. Yeah. And you only had one year with Sean Miller. Yet you guys really developed a close relationship and worked really well together. And I mean you saw the way he you know he wrote about you when you said you were leaving. He clearly thinks very highly of you. How were you able to develop such a good relationship with Sean so quickly? Um, yeah, we went to Taste of Belgium for breakfast one morning. And this is when I knew that it was going to work. Was We met there at 9 a.m. And we didn't leave Taste of Belgium until almost 1 in the afternoon. <laughs> we talked for like three and a half hours just about everything. I asked him about the good stuff, the bad stuff. He asked me about my life and how I got my job and how I worked my way up to Xavier. And, and I felt like walking out of Taste of Belgium that day, I was like, this is going to work. And, and then the other part of that is just, I think people, you know, I told him this when we met that first time. I was like, I'm going to be fair, I'm going to be accurate, and I'm going to be around. And I, and I think that 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 really like bled through to him when he saw me there every day, saw me at practices, and... You know, you build a rapport with someone when you see them every day. So I think that's kind of how it played itself out. So. Yeah, there's also a mutual respect there, too. I yeah. mean, I think the way you approached it, he really respected as well. And he doesn't take that type of thing lightly. I think yeah. that's the other part of it. I think all of us fans, and as we've talked about the season and what went right for the Xavier team, we keep coming back to buzz terms like discipline, defining roles for the players. And I think we all understand that was a big part of the success this year. What else did you see from Sean Miller being around him on a day-to-day -day basis that really stuck out to you? Yeah, um, just kind of like it, it, it sounds weird, but it's like I feel like he knows exactly what he's doing. And, and that may seem like a very simple thing, but when you really peel back the layers of it and you watch him coach a practice or you watch him prepare for an opponent – it's like he knows what he wants, and he knows how to go about doing it to maximize and get the most out of his team. And watching him in practice, to me, was the most revealing thing because every practice is so regimented and down to the finest detail, and he talks a lot during practice. He's very much a vocal coach. During, you know, um, everything that they do from specific drills, he, like you hear his voice a ton, and... I really enjoyed kind of getting to watch him in practice, especially because, you know, you watch him during the game and you see this guy who loses his mind sometimes and he's super passionate. And that that's how he is in practice, too, maybe more so because there's no cameras, there's no fans in the stands. And it's like this guy was put on this earth to be a college basketball coach. Definitely. The one thing I'll say, though, too, as much as – he is that fiery guy, competitive guy, and he'll jump you. And everyone knows about that, and that's kind of how you think of Sean Miller. The one thing that I was a little bit surprised by when we were at practice is he is a teacher at heart. Yeah. He really likes to explain things and make sure you fully understand. He's going to jump you next week, yeah. but this week you, he wants you to understand it first. Yeah. And, and once he did that, he did the teaching lesson, then you're going to get jumped next time when you don't get it right. But, like, he's not a guy who's just always yelling at people. He is very much, like, let me sit down and explain exactly what I want you to do in no uncertain terms, first and foremost, so we get on the same page. And I thought that really went a long way, just how clearly he defined exactly what he wanted in every situation. Yeah, and I'll tell – so this is kind of a, a funny behind-the-scenes story. So when they first started this season, you know, if you've ever been kind of – 
in the bowels of the Cintas Center, around the locker room, around the media room. Um, after one of their first games, they had a media, a film session in the media room. And I had to get up and move my stuff. And I went out into the courtside club and I was just sitting there. I think I might have been reading a book. And, uh, you know, they, they put this big blind up in front of the media room windows. So you, no one can see in there. But you can hear what's going on in there when you're sitting right outside. And I, I hope to one day that maybe I'll get invited into a film session. Because I was sitting outside the media room and hearing Sean Miller go through a film session with his guys was one of the more revelatory things I think I've ever come across. Like, it was an absolutely intense. And, uh, and these guys, like, it, it did not go well for a lot of those guys in that room. Now, what happened was they left the media room and everyone saw that I was sitting right outside. That was the last time they had a film session in the media room. They moved them into the locker room after that. So, um, yeah. Yeah, the relationship was good, but they still didn't need the film session showing up in the Enquirer. Huh? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's fair. Uh, how nice for you was it to cover a team that had success? Because I think a lot of people may not realize the year you started was that first year of four in a row of not making the NCAA tournament, <laughs> how nice was it for you to finally get that chance to, to follow the team on a run and have people excited at the end of the year instead of sending you mean tweets? It was a blast. Um, there was kind of a running joke the first four years that I was the, the curse, <laughs> that, you know, I showed up. And that like Dante the, said, the, we only deal in facts. That's so. right. Yeah. Um, so it was like, it, it was such a different a different thing at the end of this year from, as you know, the, f the past few years where it was like implosion at the end and everyone is angry. And a lot of times that anger spills out on Twitter and it's like people just want to yell at someone. And a lot of times it was like I got yelled at because they know that I'm going to see it <laughs> or they think that I'm going to ask the stupid questions that they send me on Twitter that they want me to ask. But this year was so much fun because... I, I really, when I first got the Xavier promotion, the very first thing that I thought about was, man, it's going to be so cool to cover an NCAA tournament. <laughs> <laughs> and then four years went by where I didn't get to do it. Um, so this year was awesome, man. Like me, me and Fritchner got to go down to Greensboro and cover those two wins. And I sat next to him during the Kennesaw State game. And Paul was about having a panic attack on, on press row. Because I, I think he, he was super stressed out that that game was going to go in a different way. And it was cool to see it work out the way that it did and, and get, you know, a few games. And the Sweet 16 was awesome. I, I wish, you know, Texas was just a machine that night. But it, it, was, it was so much fun. Which, by the way, we should say, uh, my partner Paul Fritchner is calling the baseball game on TV right now uh, yeah, at Hayden it looks Field. Like UConn That's just why he's came not back. here. They they rescheduled. It was going to be a game tonight, to, uh, this afternoon, and a game tomorrow. They had to go doubleheader today because of incoming rain tomorrow. So that's why he's not here. I apologize. I know most of you came for him. Um, <laughs> going back to this year's team, though. What surprised you about this year's team in a positive way? Because I think we both agreed that they exceeded our expectations. So what went more right than we were expecting? Yeah, I think I remember thinking about this team right before the season started, and I thought new coach, new system, new point guard. I thought it was going to take them a really long time to figure out their offense. 
And to me, that was the, that was the thing that was like, wow, you guys are, you really kind of hit the ground running here with all the, you know, it's so different and you've got a new point guard, you've got a new coach, you've got a new offense and it just worked. Um, to me, that was like, that was probably the most eye-opening thing this year from, from my perspective was like, you know, the offense, it, it's not an easy thing to do and to get it to operate like that and work as well as they got it to operate. And I'll, I'll be really curious if, if they can do that again next year because they're going to have a whole, new, a whole bunch of different parts. Well, I, I thought that same thing. And for me, it was a little more specific along the lines of I just didn't think the three-point shooting – was yeah. going to be good enough. I thought that was going to be a major issue with the way the game is played today and the, the way that they had played the last few years. But uh, the great Charles Bronson, if you're on the message board, you'll know who I'm talking about. He sent me a text yesterday and said, as you're preparing for this podcast, I came across a stat that you might like to know. And it was the only four seasons in Xavier basketball where they have attempted more three-pointers than free throws were the last four years. Right back to this year, they attempted more free throws than three-pointers again this season. Wow. And the offense ran well. So I am fully on board with that's where I just didn't understand what was about to happen. I thought the shooting was a concern because of that's how they were playing. Turns out they're not going to play that way anymore. They're going to get to the free throw line. I think you've seen with the way Sean Miller is recruiting in the transfer portal, that is a big priority is finding guys who are good at getting to the free throw line. Yeah, and the the fact that he was able to do that this year – figure that out um, I think it should give everyone a lot of confidence that with today's current state of college basketball where the rosters are going to be very different year to year like you you have a coach that that knows how to go get guys that are going to fit his system and get the most out of them and, and make that work now I think I'd be curious I got kind of a question for you um, what what do you think do you think they're going to be better defensively next yes. year? Yes. Yeah. I think this will. This past season was the worst Sean Miller defense that we will ever see at Xavier, in my opinion. Yeah. Because it just wasn't his guys at all. I, I don't think you'll ever see him be caught in a roster situation where he doesn't have more toughness, more athleticism, and at least another guy or two that are defenders by nature. Yeah. This year he just didn't really have anybody that that's what they – that was their best trait. Maybe Colby Jones, a little bit Jerome yeah. by the end. And obviously Desmond Claude came along a lot, but none of those guys came in with the reputation of being like high-level defenders. Um, so I, I think that's, that's the biggest thing is you'll never see him in a similar roster situation again. I wanted to ask you, I asked Dante about Desmond Claude and Cam Kraft. You were there at practice every day. I think everyone understands Desmond Claude's going to be a big piece next year and it is going to be good. Where do you come out on Cam Kraft? Do you see him being an impact player next season? I, to, Dante was talking about him getting healthy and, and trying to get back on the floor. Um, I was actually at the practice when Cam Kraft got hurt. And I, you know, I know, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I think what ended up happening was I believe he dislocated his kneecap. But everyone in the gym that day thought that he basically tore everything in his knee. It was, it was a very uncomfortable moment. And so I think he needs to get back from that and find his way. But I think for him, the biggest thing is hang out with Andy Kettler as much as possible this summer. That's Xavier's strength coach. If Cam, Cam is 6'5", he's not unathletic, but I thought this year there were a lot of moments where, man, he could benefit from some muscle, from really like toughening up, getting stronger, 
being able to to really assert yourself at the Division One college level. I think Cam Craft's productivity and ultimately what he becomes is probably going to be a product of what he does in the weight room and what he can do to his body, because you know he he physically he looked like a freshman a lot this year. I think he needs to kind of progress in that in that sense. I yeah, I think that's definitely right, and I also think sometimes when guys fix their bodies, get stronger, get more athletic, they have a little bit more confidence. Yeah. And Cam Kraft was a guy in high school who never, ever lacked for confidence. He was uber confident. That was yeah. one of the best parts about his game. I never saw that from him this freshman season. So I, that's what I'm looking for most is next year when he comes out, is he going to look like the guy who expects to score 20 points a game? And w- whether you're going to let me take the shots or not, I'm taking them. Yeah. So you're going to have to take me out of the game if I'm, to, to get me not to shoot. That's the type of mindset I'd like to see him take into next year. We'll see if he gets there. But, I mean, he has the best opportunity, I think, out of any returning player to make a huge jump because they need shooting. Yeah. And he can do that. And if you're asking me between him, Dalen Swain, or Reed Ducharme, who's going to be the best shooter out of those three next year, without a doubt in my mind, it's Cam Kraft. So I really think he is an important piece. And do you remember at the beginning of this season – you know, before NKU gets going, Rick would be at a lot of practices with me, and we'd sit there together, we'd watch. Cam Craft has a crazy weapon that we did not really get to see this year, and it's that mid-range floater. Yeah. He, he has this shot in his arsenal where he gets in the lane, he gets around the basket, and he's got this really delicate floater that was just so dynamic and so consistent. And it's like, if he can get on the floor, stay on the floor, there are other areas of his game that we haven't, that not everyone as a fan got to see this year that I think could really help Xavier's team and be make him a guy that they want to keep on the floor, that they need to keep on the floor. So, How worried are you about Zach Fremantle trying to come back from another foot injury? Yeah, I mean... Second um, surgery in less than a, a year, right? I think the, the biggest difference this time around is if you remember the year prior, you know, he was back in five or six weeks, I think. I can't remember exactly what it was. I've been, I've been told that this time around, he's going to take quite a bit more time to let this thing heal and not rush back. I would hope that that's the difference in this equation, that really giving it the time that it needs um, and not trying to rush back to, to be a part of the season. Because, I, you know, I think Zach is ultimately a competitor. And, um, you know, if he does come back, um, hopefully it's the Zach that, that can really be 100% and, you know, do what he does. Because I think that, that'll be big for Xavier next year if he's healthy and you've got kind of a weapon in Zach Freeman on offense. So that foot, a lot, a lot rests on that foot right now. What is your biggest concern in terms of roster holes for this team going forward? Yeah, Dante kind of touched on it. Um, probably the big man situation right now yeah. is that, you know, if Zach does come back, um, I don't necessarily know that you want to play him at the five exclusively. I think you want to have someone else – that can play a bunch of minutes, that can impact the team, and uh, and do some of the things that, that maybe Jack Nungy did. Um, he's going to be a hard dude to replace, but I think when you look at it right now, you've kind of got you've got Des Claude, you've got Davion McKnight, um, and, and then you have to assume that at least one of the freshmen 
is going to find their way on the floor. I don't know who that is. Maybe you have an opinion on that. But I would lean towards Trey Green in the backcourt. Yeah. I think he's the most ready. Yeah. So you've got your Rome Hunter kind of at that four position. Really, it's, it's, it's the five, in my opinion. So we'll see what they can do. All right, I have one more question for Adam, but if you guys have any questions out there, we will take a question or two or three one. from you guys. So <laughs> well, give me one second. We'll come back to you. Think of your questions. I'll come to you in a second. But Adam, before we wrap this up, I, I want to ask you, because you mentioned that you really love doing the feature stories, and you're going to continue to do that. And I, I think you and Shannon Russell both are elite at writing feature stories about these guys, getting them to open up to you, finding what the real story is. Which one stands out to you as your favorite since you've been covering Xavier basketball? Oh, that's a good question. Um, in terms of an individual player, like currently on the roster, um, the, the first story I ever did about Jack Nungy, um, what really stood out to me was, you know, I asked him about his dad who passed away. And his ability to even talk about it um, and be as expressive as he was was, um, was something that, that I took away from that and I hope came through in the story. So that was one that I really liked to do. Um, in terms of a guy not on the team, like the story I did on the, the Navy SEAL guy, um, hopefully some people here read that one, but Phil Bucklew, he went to Xavier, he went on to have this legendary... Um, military career, father of the Navy SEALs, basically. That was like a year of my life that I put into that story. So that was one that, that will always mean a lot to me. But guys on the team, um, probably Jack. Yeah. All right. What questions do you guys have? We'll finish them off. with. If you guys have a question, we'll, we'll answer it. All right, let's go. You're up. Oh, I'm coming. Okay. Hi. 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 Um, yes, take a seat by all okay. means. <laughs> It's your show. I will. We're just here. <laughs> um, how do you feel about Quincy? Quincy Oliveri you're talking about. Yes. The, the gentleman from Rice who is on a visit right now. If you, Correct. If you listen to Dante Jackson's interview, he dropped a few nuggets there for you that they are very confident that they might get a commitment in the near future. I think that's exactly who he was talking about. Correct. So he's a, a very good shooter. Uh, he's Rice's all-time leading three-point shooter. He's attempted like 700 threes in his career almost, and he shoots about 38%. So if you're trying to fill that role of finding someone who can shoot from three, I think you can do a whole lot worse than Quincy. And not just that, but he's a guy who likes to like, if you close out on him, he'll pump fake, drive, and draw a foul. He gets to the free throw line a lot. So he's more than just a spot-up shooter. He averaged over 16 points a game last season. He's been their leading scorer for each – well, he's been their leading scorer for two of the last three years. He was injured as a junior. But I definitely think Xavier feels very good about him coming, and he'll be a nice piece. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Right. Also, really pumped about the first question being from a lady. Last time Dan and I did one of these shows, it was like 97% males here. So Yeah, we've got Thank a good ratio here. Dan, come on, come on up, Dan. I'll turn on the third mic. Grab that third mic. All right. So we have a great idea of what a Sean Miller team looks like from his first tenure at Xavier and then obviously a decade plus at Arizona. Last year did not look like a, a Sean Miller team. Agreed. Uh, defensively, you've already referenced, but offensively, it was a thing of beauty. Do you think that's Sean Miller 
do you think that going forward we're going to see a team that plays offense that way, or was that just a function of this particular roster no, that he I, inherited? So I, I do believe what I said before, that you'll never see a Sean Miller team that's worse defensively than this past year's. But that doesn't mean that's because I think they're going to change what they did offensively. I think the offense and that style of play is here to stay. If you went back to the year that Sean Miller had off, where he was doing a lot of media interviews and a lot of podcasts, and he did a podcast with his brother Archie, and they would break down film. If you go on YouTube and you search that, you can find him talking about Gonzaga's offense. And he talked about it with absolute praise. And he said, you know, when I get a chance, that's basically how I'd like to play. A little bit faster, forcing the ball up the court a little bit more, getting the ball inside, drawing fouls. Basically, a lot of the same things he's done in the past, just at a faster pace, and being willing to give up a little bit on the defensive end to do so. That's exactly how they played this year. I mean, they basically took Gonzaga's exact offense, which, funny enough, is the exact offense that Tommy Lloyd is now running at Arizona, and he's implemented that at Xavier. So... I think you can expect Xavier to play offense very similar to the way Gonzaga has been playing it, which is up-tempo, high-scoring, a premium on skill. Bob, come on up. I can shout. All right, yell it. Uh, Adam Kunkel and the coach, what was the relationship like with those guys, in the huddle especially? Because you see Adam just go off and coach is trying to settle him down. Is he going to be a coach, Adam? So Bob's question was about Adam Kunkel. He asked, what was the relationship like between Sean Miller and Adam? I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you're referring to the all-access game against St. John's where he said, uh, AK, let me go here. You, you might have a better insight on this than I do, but I think the gist of it is that Adam is a coach on the court. He never stops talking and communicating, and I think the coaches love that for the most part. Every now and then they had to get him in check and be like, won't you let me coach as well? Uh, but I think there's a strong possibility that Adam will end up coaching, whether that be at the high school level or college level. Yeah, and I think um, Byron and Joe actually asked – Adam Kunkel came on, you know, the seniors always come on the Sean Miller radio show. I think they asked him that question, if that might be in his future, and he sort of hinted at that – that that's something that he's probably interested in. So that's a good observation. Actually, when Dante was here and he was talking about Sule, I wanted to ask Dante if he's ever had an instance where he almost fought a teammate during a game on the court. Because, you know. That... Well, I can tell you this, because I was at some of the practices. A lot of teammates wanted to fight Dante because he wouldn't shut up. So he was yeah. similar to Adam Kunkel in that regard. <laughs> Any other questions? Ian. See, all right, well, Ian saunters him. up here. Let me tell you, this guy changes his Twitter name every week. And then he'll send me, like, a DM, and I'll, be, I'll like, answer him not knowing who he is, and then he gets mad at me because he's like, hey, it's Ian. I'm like, well, how am I supposed to know that? You changed your name 15 times. Gentlemen, pleasure. Thank you for What's having up? me on the show here. Ian, thank you for joining us. Uh, so changing up a little bit, we've been talking a lot of Xavier basketball. Uh, change of pace question here. What is your favorite adult beverage on a sunny day? And then if your life depended on it, how many spicy balls from Dana's, shout out Dana's, could you eat? Oh, man. Rick? Well, the answer to number two is frightening to think about. I, I, I honestly think I eat until I die. I don't, I don't think there's a number. Spicy balls are right in my wheelhouse. I've never had a spicy ball. Oh, BJ. BJ, BJ fired <laughs> up. All right. <laughs> We're going to try spicy balls tonight, Baum. It'll blow your mind. All right. Uh, what about the drink? 
Beverage on a sunny day. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty simple man. Um, you know, standard beer. That's not very luxurious. Um, but I'm also a wild card. Like, I'll drink anything. I'm going to take some heat for this, but I, I like a margarita. I got to be honest. That's fine. That's refreshing, man. If I'm hanging out on a Sunday, I'll take a marg. Yeah. It makes me feel like I'm in Mexico at an all-inclusive. Sue me. Yeah. What do you got? The Mustangs. Yes. Uh, so uh, my name's actually Adam Bauman, and I've Oh, look been, at this. I, I, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Is that real? <laughs> yes. I can show you my ID. Okay, can, all right. Let's compare. My phone my on the table. But um, my question was, I run Xavier Nation with a couple friends over here, so... Okay. Um, but my question was basically, with the transfer portal and everything, do you guys see the NCAA like, regulating that at any point or shape or form in the near future? Because just with seeing like, you know, Xavier's going to have five, six, seven new guys or something like that, but do you see that becoming uh, something that's regulated or like, capped at some point in the near future? Yeah, that, well, that's the question of the uh, year, Thanks, I think. Everyone's losing their mind right now about transfer portal, NIL, Overall, I would say here's my thought on it right now. I think it is a problem because the NIL money is out of control. And the issue with that is, one, that it's completely unsustainable. I mean, you're not just going to keep going back to the same donors every year and saying, yeah, I need another 500 grand to pay my players. So you're going to have to come up with a different model for sustaining your NIL payments. True. The other part is there's no way to, to know what's real out there. Like right now, Xavier's recruiting these kids in the transfer portal, and they're like, well, I'm going to get 150000 from so-and-so, so what are you doing for me? How is Xavier supposed to be able to confirm if they're actually getting 150000 from so-and-so? And then, even worse than that, a lot of these kids are being told, you're going to get 150000 when you come here and play for us. Well, they go there, they play for the, the team, and guess what happens? They didn't get that 150000 The guy who had the money, who said he was going to pay, who was a donor or had a car dealership, he decided it wasn't worth it. So then kids get pissed and they transfer again the next year. I, I think it might work itself out. It's going to take some time, but I think what's going to happen is people are going to be tired of making bad investments on players who either don't stick around or don't perform. They're going to run out of money, period. Or they're just going to be tired of the whole deal altogether because kids aren't getting what they're owed and the, the, the coaches are going to be pissed off about that, so they're going to stop guaranteeing it. And everyone will kind of cool down to some extent. As far as putting the toothpaste back in the tube and saying, like, we're going to cap NIL or we're going to do away with it or we're going to change the transfer, I don't think that's going being rolled back. No. I don't think there's any way you can do it because you're going to lose legal arguments. I mean, you're going to lose in court. They already have. I think the – isn't the NCAA, aren't they kind of hoping that the federal government steps in? Yes. And like, yeah. The NCAA wants no part of it because they've already lost. I mean, they don't yeah. – they have no teeth left in terms of fighting it. So – they are not going to enforce anything, and it's really going to be left up, I think, to the schools themselves and the government. Yeah, so I guess the question is, do you, do you have more faith in the NCAA or the federal government to figure this thing out? I would say <laughs> it's going to be the university presidents. The NCAA is ran by university presidents. Correct. The NCAA only does what they want. Eventually, the, the university presidents, my guess, will change it somehow. My man. They'll do something differently. But it's going to take some time. And I think – but here's the thing. Was college basketball bad this year? No. That was great. It was a great Final Four, a great NCAA tournament. 
I, I don't see a huge issue with it other than these schools are losing their minds trying to figure out how to pay these players, but that doesn't bother me any. Any other questions? She's got another one. All right. Well, we'll go here first, and then we'll go back to you. You want to come up or holler it out? Either way. So the question is, how much money does Xavier have for NIL? How do they stack up? The, the answer is, like, we do not know. It's impossible to know intentionally. They don't, they don't want us to know. They're not going to tell us. The NIL collectives aren't going to tell us. In fact, when a kid comes on a visit, they have to be very specific about what information they're allowed to answer. Like, they can't – allegedly, they're not allowed to ask, how much money am I going to make? They can ask – I believe what the average is of the players and what the highest or lowest amount is, but I don't think they can actually ask, like, how much am I going to make? Now, is that really being enforced? Absolutely not. Kids are being given exact dollar amounts every single visit that they go on. But there are a lot of rules in this place that are being vaguely followed, and all of the schools are intentionally being very vague. What I can tell you is I think Xavier right now is competitive with most of the schools in the Big East from an NIL perspective. I think if you're talking about the bigger players on this year's team, a Colby Jones, a Jack Nungy, they made six figures this year in NIL money. Turbo I mean, tax, baby. Low six figures, but, but just over six figures. So that's kind of where they're at. I think a lot of these deals right now, if you're not talking about a top transfer, a guy like uh, uh, the, the kid from Miami, Nigel Pack, who made 400000 a year over two years, most of these deals are somewhere between like 50K and 120K, I would guess. Now, there are definitely outliers, but most of the deals we're talking about are probably somewhere in that area, if we're talking about Xavier guys. And I'm pretty sure that when like a recruit comes on Xavier's campus, what Xavier is allowed to tell that recruit is they can say, here's what the average men's basketball player made in NIL last year. They can't say, oh, here's what our best player made. They, they, you can't like differentiate it on that level. That's illegal, but you can give them an average. So I think one of the things Xavier and every school is trying to do is they're trying to be strategic about increasing that average as much as possible to make them more alluring to, to potential prospects and recruits. Yep. These are a problem, by the way. Have you tried a spicy ball? Yeah, give it one of 10. I mean, I could eat all of these. Yeah, You're going to need to help me, though. That's a no problem. I, I will definitely do that. What do you got? I just want to follow up on that question about other Big East teams in the NIL. How bad of a problem is it when a Big East team loses a transfer to Central Arkansas? <laughs> what, what are we referring to here? Oh, I, um, I didn't know Yuli was coming today. I'm sorry. I wasn't prepared. Yuli, <laughs> don't. Uh, uh, yeah, I would say not great. Although I, I would also wonder if that was ever a guy that should have been playing in the Big East in the first place. I, was, I, mean, I heard that they have like no NIL at all. I would think Butler is in the worst place financially out of all the Big East schools, without a doubt. Yeah. Yep. Um, what are the plans to fill the shoes of Jack Nungy? What are the plans to fill the shoes of Jack Nungy? We uh, we were just talking to Dante about that a little bit. There are. Three big men right now that I'd say are serious targets in the transfer portal. Any of the three would be starting level type big men if they came here. 
the, the one is Graham Ike, who we've talked a lot, about, a lot about him on the message board if you've been on there this week. Everyone thought he was a done deal to Providence. Out of nowhere, I find out on like Thursday or Friday, he's not going to Providence, and it's not because of personal issues. It's because he's going to Gonzaga on a visit. I think Gonzaga has a lot of momentum there, but it's probably between Gonzaga and Xavier at this point. It seems like Providence is probably out. Then there's another kid uh, named Abu Uzmain. Is that right, Uzmain? He's from North Texas. He is going to be visiting... Sunday and Monday or Monday and Tuesday, I believe it's on the message board if you check. I posted it this morning. He is another guy who is very much in the mix. They're uh, a Seton Hall. He's at Seton Hall right now. I think it's between Xavier and Seton Hall probably for him. And then the final guy that they're seriously pursuing right now is a guy named Caden Shedrick. He's transferring from Virginia. A lot of people thought he was going to go to Duke. Doesn't seem like that's probably the case right now. Missouri is definitely in the mix. Uh, Xavier is very much in there. So I think that's... Look who just walked in. Oh my goodness, Paul Fritschner, everybody. Come on up, Paul Fritschner. Paul Fritschner joined us after calling 17 hours of baseball games this afternoon. We really appreciate it. Can we turn him on? We're we're doing well. We were just talking about Caden Shedrick, Paul, and I, I mentioned that uh, Missouri and Texas and Xavier are all in the mix for him. He is going to visit next week. So if Xavier gets through this week and they don't get a commitment from either of the first two guys we were talking about, then Caden Shedrick from Virginia is probably kind of the, the last hope out of the guys that they're in on right now. If they don't land any of these three, then we'll go back to the drawing board and we'll come up with some new names, I'd imagine. But they are definitely going to add a starting center for this year. What, what did I miss? Uh, Paul just asked what he we missed. Good. Rick made me cry Go earlier, Paul. Can you Go ahead, Paul, that? cry. I mean, I, yeah, we got some good stuff out of Jackson. We made Baum cry, Super and we watched you. Uh, Why did you cry? Me. Just all these people, um, you know, we're talking about change, and it's emotional. So, no, but we got through it. Okay. Right. We also got a live spicy balls review from Baum. He's never yeah, had so I thought good. these. I'm not. I'm not a huge. I have a very bland taste bud. I thought these were mac and cheese bites, so my mouth's on fire right now. Well, <laughs> lay off them then, big guy. I like them. These are the the ghetto uh, bites. Any other questions? We'll wrap good. it up here. What do you got? Yeah, Mike's come on up. up, Mike guy. I like I like Mike guys. Mike, Mike. My question was actually about Sean Miller. Microphone. They thought you uh, said something very different, Rick. So my question is with Sean Miller. Um, do you think that Xavier has the ability to keep Sean Miller as long as he should stay at Xavier? Because he should stay here his whole career. But do you think that he's actually able to – that Xavier is able to keep him here his whole career? Let me first say that it's very kind of you to decide what Sean Miller should be doing with the rest of his life. That is, that is really nice of you. Um, so I've said this a few times on the message board. I actually wrote about it after the season ended. This is the best chance Xavier has ever had to keep an elite coach around. Yep. Now, will he be here till the end of his career? Who knows? I mean, you know, Xavier could shut down as a university in the next 12 years for all I know, right? Um, My God, Rick. I'm just saying, you, you don't, I'm not going to make any type of predictions like that. But you're talking about a guy who has already been there, done that in terms of making his money. He's doing fine. He's experienced what the big-time basketball is, is about. And I don't know how much he has said this publicly, but 
maybe Adam can answer this as well. I get the sense very much that Sean kind of likes the idea of paving his own path and being the first guy to get Xavier to the Final Four as opposed to being the guy to get Arizona back to where they had it when Lute Olson was there or, or get North Carolina back to where it was when Dean Smith was there or get Duke back to Coach Case or whatever it is. Like Whatever the next school is going to be that people are worried about, I think Sean Miller is excited about being the guy that establishes Xavier as a Final Four or a championship program not as much about chasing those other programs and trying to reestablish them. So I think that will factor into it. And I also think that, like, Sean Miller's really appreciative of being able to come back here. Last year was tough on him. Leaving Arizona was tough on him. And is Xavier ever going to be able to pay him as much as some of the top schools? No. But they're doing everything they can to pay him a lot of money, and it's pretty good money, and I think he's really comfortable here. So... Uh, Adam, feel free to jump in on that. But my yeah. answer to you is we don't know for sure, but I'd feel really, really confident about as a Xavier fan. In terms of like the next four or five years, I don't think he's going anywhere. I'm also really confident in saying that I, I think Sean wants to end his career at Xavier. I really do. Um, I've talked to more than enough people that have given me that sense. If the school doesn't shut down. Correct. If the school doesn't shut down. Pending a potential school shutdown. Um, the, the, the problem is going to be in the, the, where it's going to get weird is when, you know, Rick Barnes retires at Tennessee or something happens at Kentucky and Calipari's out. And those, those type of schools that can essentially write Sean Miller like a blank check, those are going to be when you guys are going to be a little bit stressed out and a little bit tense. But I think Sean loves Xavier. I think he loves coaching in the Big East. And I think he's kind of at a point in his career where he's looking for – a destination to kind of ride off into the sunset. So hopefully that's at Xavier. Can you hear me now? Oh, we got you, BJ. Um, so just recently they talked about how they're adding the medical school. It's more than just a uh, formality now. Um, yes. Kind of talk about what that's going to do for the athletic program as well as the school in general. Most yeah. people don't know how that's going to help out a lot. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. That's something that's been eye-opening to me this last week or so. Um, I didn't realize the impact that would have on the entire school and also the athletics department. But essentially, the concept there is it's going to add a lot of money to the entire university and a lot of opportunities to the entire university. And eventually, over the course of multiple years, that's going to trickle down to athletics in a big way. And we're talking money that, like, might be more than what they're making from the Big East television contract. So it's real money that they could be getting eventually in terms of NIL and donor money. How does that happen? Well, part of it is you graduate doctors, they go on to be rich doctors, and they send some money back your way. Yeah. But a lot of that is you're talking about uh, a network, maybe like TriHealth or something like that. They want to recruit future Xavier students to become doctors. So they start sending you some, some donor money or they want to advertise for NIL with some of your student athletes, stuff like that. Also, some of your students are going to go work at these networks and these hospitals and the, or uh, these practices. And they're going to say, you know where I'd like to advertise? With Xavier's basketball team or with Xavier's baseball team or what have you. So I think that's the impact. If you're looking strictly from an athletics or strictly from a basketball standpoint, that's how the, the new medical school is going to impact that. Um, in terms of the overall impact on the university, that's well above my pay grade, and I, I don't have all the answers to that. But it is a significant, significant move for the entire university. And it's an important time in Xavier University's growth, 
And this medical school has a big role in that growth. I think one of, the, one of the other things, too, that I've picked up from this, too, is how fast it all happened. I mean, this has been a pretty rapid process from everything that's been going on with, you know, change in administration, Dr. Hanich taking over as the president, Sean Miller getting hired as a new head coach of the men's basketball program, adding a new medical school. I mean, there have been a lot of major substantial changes to the university here in the last 36 months, and it's happened really fast. And like you said, Rick, I don't need to add on any more to that. But these are going to be tangible, big things that happen, not just academically for Xavier, that expand the, the student population, that expand what Xavier wants to be as an institution, but also that will di directly feed back into the athletics program. So it's all just one big ecosystem that's going to have, just because it's a medical school doesn't necessarily mean you know, academics and athletics are separated. It's going to have a very direct impact on what Xavier is able to do on the basketball court too. Yeah, uh, we'll maybe, maybe someone in that medical school medical school they'll figure out a cure for a peanut allergy and we can set Paul free here into the wild. Let's go. Alright. Is that it or we got any more? One more? One more? Let's go. Let's we got do it. Two more. Two more? Alright, we'll do two more. I feel like this is a spaces. Can you hear me connecting? All right, so uh, as with my roommate Ian, I'm gonna throw a, a two-parter out there. All right, so first off, what are the uh, current feelings of Xavier football, and why do we need another reason to be Butler in another sport? And then second, we've seen Sean Miller now throw out a first pitch for Xavier and the Cincinnati Reds. Which one of you three could throw a better first pitch than him? Oh, I don't know how these guys throw, but I'm, I've got a better arm than Sean Miller. It's not close. No offense. I just do. <laughs> Hey, all, all I know is Sean went out there through the first pitch. Xavier beat UConn, so I guess Sean's 3-0 against UConn this year. Oh! Uh, that's all I know. Look at Fritchner earning that's, his paycheck, that's, that's Lee. That's all I know. <laughs> oh, all right. That's all I know. What was the other question? I don't even remember. It was about football. Xavier oh, yeah. football. Uh, so I don't think football is as likely as it once was. I, I think, think the medical school probably changes that equation a little bit. Around Christmas time, I think you'd agree. You wrote something about it yeah. around then. And I think we were both on the same page that that was a done deal, basically. Yeah. I think a couple things have happened since then. One being that there wasn't great feedback when it got leaked publicly. Uh, and two being that there were some financial issues that were not known at the time. And so I think... The combination of those along with trying to move the medical school forward, football was kind of put on a back burner. At this point, I don't have a great answer for you of whether or not it's going to happen, but I'd say it's still definitely a possibility. There are also exit ramps to just say, eh, we're not going to do it. So I, th I think they're still trying to figure that out, and the medical school is the priority right now. And I was a state championship bullpen catcher in high school, so I could throw a better pitch than Sean Miller. Baum and I would be a disgusting battery. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. I've seen Paul play shortstop. He's got a nice score. I do. He's a lefty, isn't he? A lefty? A I thought you were a lefty. Shortstop. No. Oh. Hop in the Dana Softball Summer League. We'll get you out there. All right. We'll get you out there. All right, Cap. You'll Wrap it up, Cap. You got a whole pitcher with you. I'm sure you're feeling good. No, we're good. I'm good. So I've got my pitchforks and torches ready if they try to change the color to royal blue. <laughs> What's our preferred shade of blue, if we're asking? Navy. 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 Do you think there's a real possibility there's a change there? No. No. Okay. 
Okay, I have one more question for Bob. Who's your favorite person outside of players? Someone behind the scenes, could be a Mario, could be anybody. Who's your favorite person outside of players? Oh, that's a good question. Um, in the program... <laughs> this is a big Tom, answer. Said Tom Iser. <laughs> um, I mean, there's a lot of people. Um, I know this is not great for the podcast. Audience, this is going to be a cop out answer. I see. Probably Fritchner. Oh, honestly, it's a cop out answer. That's a cop out answer. I'm booing that yeah. one. I'll boo that one. Actually, you know who it might be? It might be Schmaltzy. Okay, Mike Schmaltz, that's a fa- that's- his broadcast partner. Um, I love seeing him around Xavier and around Centos, but there. That, that's one of the things that, that I've loved about this job is that it's, it's allowed me to meet a ton of awesome people, including CapEx. All right. I think that's good enough, guys. Appreciate all of you guys coming out. Great live show from Dana Gardens. Thank you, BJ and your staff. You guys were amazing as always. If you haven't subscribed to musketeerreport.com, First of all, why are you here? Second of all, thank you for coming. And third of all, it's 50% off right now, so go home, sign up, musketeerreport.com right now. Thank you.